Hello, a virtual affair. Let's invite my co-host here. Okay. Hi. Hello, Henrietta. <laughs> I, I feel like we are, I feel like we're exposing ourselves, you know? <laughs> this is so funny, our first live. This is our first live. Okay. We're not, we're not covered by the amenity of, of just audio. We're not, we're not. We've been exposed and um, people don't know like, who ah. we are. <laughs> so um, all those salty things we have said is now attributed to these faces. <laughs> Speak for yourself, my friend. I am in no way salty. <laughs> okay, let's um, let's set this up because these people, they may know who I am, but they're like, oh, wait, wait, what is this setup going on here? Okay. So let's, let's set this up. Okay. Welcome to a virtual affair, and this is a virtual affair for the Bay Area show, and that's a show that I've been doing now for a couple of years, and, um, and now that we cannot be in the same room, this is a fantastic way for us to come together. And um, I'm a vendor, I'm a vendor at, one of, at the show, and I, um, I will have my slot tomorrow at 2.30 EST, please join me then. But why Henrietta and I are here is that we are the co-hosts of the podcast, The Conversations with Jason Campbell and Henrietta Galena. And we have been doing this podcast now for about um, approximately three years. And I'm going to have Henrietta tell uh, the audience what we, what we do on the podcast, how we, what we cover on the, on the podcast on a regular yeah, so we have a weekly podcast, like Jason said, for the last three years. And um, we basically talk about themes that we think are important in and around sort of fashion and culture. So it's usually where the two intersect. And that has particularly been learned through the Black experience, obviously being two Black people who work in fashion. And so that's what we've been doing. We do that just to kind of keep ourselves and others informed. And it's really just candid conversations to about things without like a media advertising lens so we really say it we do we do it we invite you know we invite the audience who's here to definitely tune into to tune into the to the podcast and i think you know one of the reasons why we're here is because the issues that we have been discussing on the podcast has really we have intersected with this moment right now and i don't know if we could have imagined henrietta that we would be in a pandemic with a racial <laughs> uprising that's going on. But I have to tell you, you know, if you go back into the archives of this podcast, you will see that we have stayed on top of this issue. Mm -hmm. And it was really a matter of time. You know, we are two people who have been speaking about this. And it's obviously as two um, uh, Black professionals has been very important, very close to our hearts and very important to our career career goals and our ascendancy. And so we've really stayed on top of this. And I think it's only fitting now that culture and, and this time has really met us and for us to have a little bit of a summary of this conversation in this forum. Yeah, exactly. It's funny because we posted about an episode we did over two years ago talking about the race issues in fashion. And obviously we've continued with that theme over the last couple of years. Um, but it was interesting how so many people listened to it and was like, that's so timely. Like, 
everything you're talking about is happening right now. And I think all that's happened is we've always experienced it. We've always been talking about it, both in our groups and collectively and together and speaking candidly. And all that's happened is that it's really been exposed. It's almost, it's really paralleling what's happening in culture at large, particularly around like police brutality. It's like, it's always been happening. It's just now it's it's better documented for all to see. And so I think that's really the that convergence that's happening now. So it's it's interesting. And it's kind of unfortunate also. It's interesting, unfortunate, but it's born it's also born a lot of conversation. And you know, Henry, I think I have to step back and I have to sort of contextualize us as well a little bit more. Um, my name is Jason Campbell, and I am a journalist and a stylist and a brand consultant. And my direct role in this forum, as I said, is that I, I love a kind of fear. I love the community, the vintage community. And I do, I've been doing the vintage show, a kind of fear for the last four years. I do New York twice a year and I do San Francisco um, as well twice a year. And this is, this is uh, an area in fashion, I have to tell you, and I, I tell everyone who asks, that brings me incredible joy. The community here, these, these are my fashion people, I consider them. So that's why we're here before we get into the conversation. So when you, you, are, you are definitely a vintage person, um, <laughs> much more so than, than new design, that's for sure. Um, and I'm Henrietta Galina. I am a creative director by way of brand marketing. And I work predominantly with brands to tell brand stories, create images and just generally like help brands position themselves in the world in a nutshell. Major. Well, well, I have been, <laughs> let me speak for myself in this forum. I have been a huge critic in, in whatever spaces will have me, whether it's be through writing op-eds, uh, doing podcasts, engaging the community of my peers in fashion. I have been really on top of this fashion conversation for, um, as it pertains to race for the last 15 years. Um, and that is because fashion is one of the most racist industries um, known to man. You know, it deals with very prettied up things. Um, but in while it's dealing up with those prettied up things, it's literally keeping the thumb on the, on, on the, on the, the heads of Black people in this industry, um, not allowing them to ascend the, 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 the professional ladder, not allowing their sensibilities to be realized by their community, and simply giving a very performative feeling of participation over these years. And also, in turn, has, um, has left a community living in fear, unable to speak up for themselves, and literally cowed and oppressed for a significant period of time, I would say for the duration of this industry. And it has brought us to this. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. I think that's a fair assessment. I think one of the things that makes this feel um, really really core-shaking, I think, for a lot of people is the fact that we have had this wave in a public-facing way. You know, the whitewash of the 90s was very much driven around campaigns and the catwalk. And we've really reconciled uh, or made a great headway to reconciling the public-facing element of race and fashion. So, you know, it's been a great time for Black models, all Black catwalks, all Black campaigns. You see brands, luxury, contemporary, retail, fast fashion, really embrace that public facing. And I think one of the 
main elements that were left out was actually what's happening behind the scenes, who, who's making these images, who's making these shows, who's working as the executives, who are the decision makers. That was largely left untapped. And so now we're seeing the curtains being drawn. And I think COVID and the pandemic and the lockdown has been a really interesting factor in that because now we are at home, we're not going to work, where a lot of people are unemployed, laid off. We have a bit more time on our hands, or in most cases, a lot more time on our hands. But also everything is digital. Everything has to be put out into the forefront. You're seeing all those little Zoom squares of like all of these people that work behind the scenes and you're like, wait, you all look the same. Um, What's going on? And so I think that that's really um, been eye-opening in the pandemic. And then obviously the pandemic has highlighted that like most things, uh, Black people and people of colour are disproportionately impacted. So I think that the economic, the social, the cultural um, kind of coming together has just really exasperated everything and Black people and people of colour and fashion are just, have said enough. But I got to tell you what I, what I am surprised by. Well, I shouldn't say exactly surprised, but I, I guess it's the, the pace of which, at which things have happened. Um, I have to tell you the energy, the upswell of energy um, in our community and outside of the community. Obviously, inside the community, the, the energy is being caused here and it's stirring up what happens external. But I feel that so many people, so many Black professionals have come out of the woodwork and are letting their voices be heard. And I got to tell you, some of the private conversations that I've had, they were, people were literally trembling because they were like, Jason, I cannot believe that I've had my head in the sun for such a long time, that I was living in such fear, that I was so cowed by my corporate environment or just by my work environment that I, I knew that things were, I knew that I was being treated um, adversely. However, I did not feel empowered. I didn't feel I had a voice. I felt that if I was one of one or one of very uh, few numbers in those institutions that it was for me to kind of just like hold that place in spite of treatment. And I got to tell you what I have been dealing with, with people's almost like a PTSD, not having to do at all with this pandemic, but a PTSD having lived, lived a life as a Black person, um, specifically in this. So it's been a highly emotional, it's been a highly emotional turnout, I feel, for the community in fashion. And we'll get a little bit more into those details as to the initiatives that started in fashion where Black people has coalesced and so forth. Oh, is it echoing? Okay, someone tells me that it's echoing. Hold on, let me put on some headphones. Maybe we can make it work. Thank you, guys. Okay. <laughs> Live. Okay. <laughs> tell me if it's better, guys. <laughs> I'm sorry, carry um, on. No, I... I... I agree, and I'm having a lot of the same conversations. I think that we have to understand that the status quo is a powerful thing, as is strength in numbers, right? So it's like the status quo, just this is the way it's always been. I think there's a large contingent of like, even the nuance of coming from an immigrant family, literally some of the things that we talk about when we talk about microaggressions, like I'll talk to a family member and they're just like, this is your main concern? Aren't you gainfully employed? And so I think that the status quo and all of the nuances around that and then just the challenges around race and fashion. I mean, overt racism obviously is is a problem, but a lot of it happens as microaggressions where you're just like, wait, that happened? What's going 
on? Am I, did that, it, it's like a death of a thousand paper cuts. And obviously the, the disparity in numbers, you're often the only one. So it's not like there are these ongoing daily forums for you to be like, can you believe that, Karen? Like you're having to navigate this by yourself whilst also right. doing your work. So I think that there's a lot of context and nuance around why people haven't been empowered and also where this trauma comes from because people are talking about it. People are coming out publicly and talking about it and we're having this discourse that is rallying emotion. Like I'm reading and listening to stories on Instagram and people's videos and people's content. I'm like, oh my God, that's so true. Oh my God, that happened to me. Oh my God, that's... Because sometimes you're not actively even thinking about every single thing that's happened to you in a five, 10, 15, 20 year career. So I think like everything, there's nuance and there's context and it's complicated and layered. And, you know, that's why there isn't one solution. We are not a monolith. There isn't one kind of group think school of thought. And so I think that's why this is really complicated and will take some time to reconcile, but that's why the conversation is important, right? We don't all have to agree or be on the same page or be kumbaya, but we all have to actively participate in order for this to change, I think. And uh, there's, in many ways, there's been a shock to the fashion. There's been a shock right, to the fashion com- system. These comments are comedy. Like, oh. <laughs> interact with us while I'm trying to concentrate. I know, we don't know about this interactivity, do we? That we're like, oh my God, people are actually like commenting in real time. Yeah, no, that's the, the benefit of live. Well, I have to say, it feels like a shock to the system. I mean, I got to tell you, there's a lot, lot of white people in this industry that does not necessarily fully understand this scale, <laughs> the scale of the uprising. Like, I think, you know, in fashion, as you said, the, the consumer face the optics and the models on the runway and so forth, they, they seem to have been representative, particularly in recent in recent years. Um, but however, I, behind the scenes, I think, as you expressed before, is where that information was not coming out yeah. about. And now that information has come up, and of course, in this digital age, that information is shared so quickly and so rapidly. And then, as you said, everyone remembers, recalls their stories as well to share, and it become a very like overnight response. To something that I didn't—I don't know if the industry knew how powder keg oh, and gosh, how explosive yeah. it, 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 it is um, for the for the demographic. No, and interestingly enough, I think what's been kind of surprising is some of the compassion that I've also had for certain situations where I also was like, "Oh, I didn't even realize that ignorance is not always um, rooted in malice." Right. So the idea that we're talking about the nuances of microaggression and people are like, oh, I didn't know that I could say that. Or like you're seeing all of these Instagram confessionals of, oh, I didn't realize that that time I went on holiday and said, oh, my God, I'm like as dark as you are. I didn't realize that's a considered a microaggression. I was just trying to be funny. And so I'm, I, I, it's interesting because sometimes you think that people have that same knowledge or that same purview or, or vantage point as you. And sometimes you're just like, oh, you like legit just didn't know. And now I can hope that now you know better, you could do better. So again, I think that's why this dialogue and this open dialogue and this public dialogue is so important because, again, it's really complicated. Some people just don't know. Like, I, you know, some of the people that I've worked with have really come out and like, I've had honest conversations where they're like, I don't have any black friends and I, you're, like my, you're like one of three black co-workers I've had in like my 10 years. You know, so it's also like, if you don't know, you don't know. And I think that... We, it's funny, I was talking to an editor friend of mine 
And she was saying that the Black community in fashion, it's incumbent on us to understand all facets of culture, right? We have to understand mm. white, white hair. We have to understand everything <laughs> in its entirety. Whereas, you know, on the other side, white people in fashion, people aren't really talking, like going to the Black hair shows. They're not going to the Essence Festival. They're not going... Because that's our job. So also there is that lack of education and that lack of understanding for osmosis and all of those things that a more equitable workplace would foster, you know. And I think that as much as there's a lot of hurt and anger, I think there also has to be room for education and dialogue and seeing where that goes. Because, you know, my Angela always says, if when you know better, you do better. And I think that's one of the things I'm interested to see, like, who is going to do better when they know better and who is just going to stay racist? <laughs> I'm I, interested I, in, that, in, in seeing that. I agree. And, and to what you just said, I think it also shows how much as Black people we have to swallow on a daily. You know, they're like, oh, I didn't know that because you can't, you can't reveal and respond with, um, with an offense every time that you experience something offensive to you, you know, from, from the white community. And so there's a lot of things that are left unspoken because I got to be honest, if I were to express everything on a daily that I express on a microaggression level, that I express on a discriminatory level, yeah, I wouldn't, I would be kind of an annoying person who's always like complaining. Your career would have been two years, two years. <laughs> not, not 25 you would have lasted in the industry for five minutes if you if you had to go and explain and do all of that work it would it would have definitely before like before may it would have been aggressive it would have been you're aggressive you're always you know you're too direct you're always this you're always that it, it's always steeped in these tropes whereas now i'm hoping that a lot of how we're seen and that freedom that we're allowed to have to express ourselves in our full range of emotions um, I'm hoping now there's more space for that. And it's not just like, there she goes being angry again. Here she goes making it a black thing. And I hope that there's more room on both sides to hold space for like how we're all trying to navigate this and deal with this and express ourselves and learn. And again, it's complicated. You know? Well, you know, that's a, it's a really interesting point because I, um, I wanted to express, just like I mentioned on the, the daily sort of feeling as a black person, I, I wasn't going to really speak to this because I didn't think about it before. But even in my joviality, even in my warmth, and even in this sort of like, you know, this sort of like um, uh, easiness that I approach the world with, this like, this lightness, that's also in some way, yeah, it's a natural, it's my natural personality. But I have to tell you, Henrietta, it's, it's part of the adoption of being a non-threatening Black person. And someone wouldn't possibly not wrap that into my package because, oh my God, he's so colorful, he's so fun, he's so dynamic and all. And I am all of those things. And I am authentically all of those things. But I have to say, I think I've also use those things to project this like, oh no, no I'm not that threatening black guy. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to steal from you. Don't you see all this glamour? Don't you see all this, all this stuff? I have to, in a really candid fashion, yes, those kind of things I deal with on a daily. And as someone who's a personal stylist for uber wealthy people, I'm in the Tonyest addresses. I'm in the Tonyest homes. I'm in the most expensive stores and so on and so forth. So I'm constantly, constantly um, dealing with positioning myself in those spaces where I would not say be naturally, um, one would think I would not naturally exist. And that looks different for many different people against that point of us not being a monolith. The ways that 
in which we have to kind of do this intricate dance and contort ourselves to make people feel comfortable in the workspace, in luxury spaces, in stores, etc., is completely subjective. I don't do that. <laughs> I've always been quite direct, but I've always been quite, I've been an introvert. Well, that's who I am naturally. Um, but what I did was I focused on the work. I was like, if I am really good at my job, objectively, that should speak for itself. And, you know, that's had its merits and that's had its challenges, but that has been my defense mechanism for sure, where it's like, okay, if nothing else, I'm really good at my job because I, I don't navigate the world like that where, um, you know, I can be this jovial at all sort of all times type kind of thing. And I think it looks different for many different people. Um, and I think that's also a part of the trauma where it's like, what, what is actually just innately who you are? And what part of your persona is who you've had to be in order to right. help along? <laughs> right. And incidentally, we haven't really gotten into this this sliver of conversation on the podcast, but this is something that we have to let me pin this so we could um, so we could revisit um, uh, in the future. Right. Okay, let let's segue a little bit because we can we can get deep into this and we can carry on this conversation for a long time. And I know we have a, actually Henrietta, could you give me a, a time check? How much time do we have here? Uh, nine minutes. We have nine minutes? Oh, my God. Okay. Let's talk vintage. <laughs> we just keep talking, and then we're like, okay, bye. And it's like, oh, that was like an Aaron. Awesome. Exactly. We really have, we don't have any limits. We just talk till the conversation is finished. Oh, my God, nine minutes. Okay, let's talk into, let's talk about the vintage world for a little bit, being that we're on this platform, and I have such a passion for this world. And I also think that there's a, there's an important conversation to be had now about that world. Um, and I actually have a question for you, which I'm okay. hoping is where you're going. Um, because I think that fashion has really changed forever and fashion in a post COVID landscape, whether it's luxury, whether it's fast fashion and the whole sustainability conversation, luxury and how expensive everything is and what it means beyond the transaction, uh, contemporary. And can you be a contemporary brand? Cause it's hard to be independent, et cetera, et cetera. And D2C, obviously, because of the toxicity and, and the venture capital money and all the mechanisms that make that happen. So I'm interested to, uh, to know, being such a vintage champion, how do you see vintage moving forward in a post-COVID landscape? Because I, I see that being the only thing that is really hopeful, that has the most opportunity to actually really handle this reckoning, obviously, from a sustainability standpoint, but also this fact that it feels more democratic than the cross-section of fashion categories. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And uh, well, in that, in that question uh, um, are some answers. I have to say the vintage world is indeed more democratic. What I love about this world is that it includes everyone. You have expensive vintage, you have super approachable vintage at the goodwill level and so forth. And it, it just attracts a certain... It attracts a certain individual who has an appreciation, who has appreciation for things, who has appreciation for the quality of things, and have appreciation for the re renewal of items. Yeah. So I find, yeah, I find that the community really are made up of good souls. Like, it's almost as though you don't work, maybe off, but it's almost as though you don't work with old things because you, you have to. You kind of really want to. You really identify what you appreciate about those things and identify what you want to play forward. So I think that the community is, um, is made up of these kind of, um, of these kind of thinkers. They're soulful. 
They are. They're, they, they, they really are. They're very soulful people. And they bring, talk about joy, they bring a great deal of joy to the experience. It's not about trends. It's not about, it's not about keeping up with the Joneses. Vintage is very much about personal expression. It's really about personal expression. What I love about a current affair is that, um, is that at the show, oh my God, I got to tell you, nowhere in fashion, forget about Paris Fashion Week, forget about all of that nonsense. Where you see Fashion Express right now are in the aisles of this show. You see everything, and it's all predicated on individual style. And so to your question as to where it's going, Henrietta, it is, I mean, sustainability is like the dominant conversation. I see we have Celine on here. I would love for her to, to weigh in. This is really as sustainable as you, as you get. Hey, it's a slow factory, Celine. Thank you for joining us. And um, and so I think in I mean vintage, I mean it waxes and wanes, but vintage really never goes out of style. But the forecast for it is that it is going to dominate. And there's vintage, there's upcycling, there's all of that sort of stuff. So yes, I I, I have no doubt that this is the wave of the future. And particularly after this pandemic, after this COVID period, it's even going to be a more powerful tool in our, in our dressing arsenal. That's so interesting because, you know, this, the, from my vantage point, obviously as a creative director and storyteller, it's very much like the stories behind these products, I think, put, put culture and meaning back into that mm. brand. Um, but what I love, though, is that you didn't even talk about the tax elements. You really spoke about the community, which I think against the wave of what's happening in fashion and this kind of, you know, toxicity and, and um, accusations of racism and everything. It's like you're actually um, talking more to the mentality of vintage, which I hadn't even thought about, which I think is actually really telling and really beautiful, actually. No, and it is. And it, I, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, not because I'm on this platform. This is not for... This is not for Richard or a current affairs benefit. This is the actual, this is the actual truth. It really has fostered an incredible, an incredible makeup. The vendors are wonderful. And as well, the community that attends the shows are incredible. I, again, I use the word joy. I, I, and I can't believe it. You haven't even been to, you haven't, you haven't even been. Okay. So the next physical. You're my vintage teacher. I must say, like, I really <laughs> learn a lot about it for you. I'm not, I mean, as you could, for those who don't know, I, I don't even look like I work in fashion. I wear the same thing every day and it's, it's basics. So I learn a lot about vintage and the community and the, the machinations through Jason. Well, um, I, I certainly, this is a world that I will continue to champion. You see how, what joy I have in talking yeah. about it. So yeah, this is, this is very close to, to my heart. Okay. So we're going to sort of like wind this down and we are going to sign off momentarily, but I hope that you will join me here tomorrow at 2.30 for my for my wears here, I'm very excited. I've been I've been pulling all together. And um, Henrietta, I thank you so much for joining me. I'm, well, we need to do more lives, please. That was fun. That was, <laughs> that was really fun. For my first live, I'm not gonna lie, I was so nervous, but actually, it was really fun. And um, thank you for you know asking me. And obviously, a current affair. This has been this has been really fun. This has been really nice. And you were amazing. You look fantastic. And thank you all guys for joining us. Okay, excellent. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We love all your comments. And this was really fun. Okay. <laughs> Ciao. Bye, everyone. Thanks for joining Bye. <laughs>